Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. Sorry, I had myself muted. (laughs) Perfect. That's when I know it's real. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, my book's coming out. My book's coming out. I know. And a bunch of people have been asking me, Hank, why is this one longer than the first one? And I, you know... It's a long story. (laughs) That was pretty funny. But I might have only laughed at it because I am in an exceptionally good mood. (laughs) (laughs) That's great to hear. Um, That's not usually how we start our podcasts off. Um, And so I know that there's probably something unusual happening either in your life or in the world. Yeah. So I feel like we do need to just acknowledge the elephant in the room, or I guess more specifically, the elephant in my room, which is that (laughs) as we are recording this live for VidCon now, Manchester City are playing Chelsea in front of no fans in the Premier League. Uh, And if Manchester City don't win, Liverpool Football Club will win their first league title in 30 years. This is a very, 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 (laughs) very big deal for me. It goes, if you don't mind a little bit of backstory. Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, okay, we'll do it. And then we'll tell everybody that this episode is weird. But you do that first. It's not weird. It's a totally normal episode. When I was 12 years old, I was on my middle school soccer team. I wasn't the best player, but I was the worst player. (laughs) We were not a good team at all. We did not win many games that season, but we did have one very, very good player. His name was James, and he was very, very good because he was from England, Mm. which in Orlando, Florida at the time automatically made you the best soccer player in the state. (laughs) Yeah. And it was through James that I learned that football was like a profession for Mm -hmm, some people, that like it existed as a pro sport. And it was also through James that I learned about Liverpool Football Club. And it just happened to be that season that Liverpool won the title. And I was like, I think I'll hop on this bandwagon. (laughs) (laughs) How's the last uh, couple decades been? 30 years later, it's (laughs) finally paying off. (laughs) 
So a team that isn't Liverpool has to lose in order for you to get the title, and that's going to happen in the next hour or so. Or tie. Oh, wow. A tie would also be fine. That's great. It's been a long, strange journey this season, obviously. Um, and uh, But but yeah, I'll, oh my gosh, it's hard not to think about. Let's answer some questions from our well, listeners. Well, we can't, we can't. So first of all, I've got one thing I have to say, which is that I wanted to look up the mascot of Liverpool Football Club so that I could say instead of the elephant in the room, the name of the mascot. But the problem is the mascot of Liverpool Liverpool Football Club is the liver bird. Yeah, it's, it's the liver bird. Well, I'm not going to say the liver bird in the room. I'm just not going to. And second, this is being recorded live during VidCon Now, the distributed VidCon that is occurring all across the world. VidCon Now has a bunch of events that are happening, and this is one of them, but they will continue to go on. So if you want to follow VidCon on Twitter, you can find out about them. They're free. Uh, so thanks to everybody who has joined us specifically for our VidCon Now performance of Dear Hank and John. I can hear them wooing at home. I can't actually, <laughs> but I can imagine them wooing at home. Yeah, thank you all for joining us. We we are really grateful and grateful to everybody at, at VidCon for putting this together. Yeah, and and we have questions direct from our VidCon Now live stream listeners. This question comes from Wholesome SWM, who says, any life advice for a recent college graduate? Oh, has there ever been a better time to be a recent college graduate? <laughs> well, yes. what? so what's your degree in? I have, I, the, the true answer to this is that I don't have any advice and I have no idea what is happening and mm-hmm. I have no idea yes. w- how to make things better. And I feel like there aren't enough adults saying that they have no idea. So maybe that can be my role. Right. <laughs> I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> everybody's got some real strong advice. Everybody doesn't have to deal with this particular problem, and yeah. which is everyone, because no one's ever dealt with the situation as it stands right now. No one who's under the age of 104. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. a friend of mine's grandma is was born right at the beginning of the Spanish flu and, and remembers in her toddlerhood a lot of like fear continuing about that and, and having to sort of think about it. Great. And she was a little little kid. Yeah. So hopefully it will be uh, not a thing six years from now, but who knows? I will say that it, it's not a... Ter- Hank, you're really harshing on my uh, Liverpool <laughs> buzz right now, man. It's not. It's maybe not a terrible idea to look at um, both, of course, options for getting into, into the workforce, but also options for continuing your education in one way or another, deepening your skill set in your current chosen field or adding some other something, of course, in a way that probably will not involve as much traditional schooling, but hopefully will be less expensive, um, just so you can have something to put on your resume during that period of time. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I also just, I don't know. And But I also don't know. I will agree that I don't know. (laughs) For a easier question, John, and one that, but that may annoy you more, this is from M who Mm -hmm. asks, if you put Mm -hmm. milk in a bowl of croutons, does that make dinner cereal? First of all, cereal can be dinner cereal. Yeah. I have dinner cereal all the time. Yeah, that's that's as you know, Hank, that's one of my pet peeves. We we can't we we can't say that some foods are only for one no. meal. It it's it's the weirdest it's not the weirdest thing humans do because we do a lot of weird things, <laughs> yeah. but it is among the weirder things that humans do. It's weird enough that I hope that someone's studying it. That I hope that like we can we can investigate this aspect of humanity and be like we have learned a thing about humans right. about our like tendency to categorize 
But man, eggs for dinner is great. Well, so-called breakfast for dinner is my favorite dinner. And I also like it so much more than I like so-called breakfast for breakfast. Uh Like in the morning, I don't want to eat like eggs and a muffin (laughs) and bacon. But in the evening, I very much do. To the question, however, if you put milk in croutons... Mm-hmm. What you've done is you've ruined both milk and croutons. John, you once had a, a summer yeah. job where you made croutons, and you were talking to me once about like you making croutons. I did, and I was like, "People make those." I did it never even occurred to me. Oh, I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning and make croutons every day. I, there were two things that I got really good at making, and and even now, twenty years later, there's still only two things that I can cook, <laughs> and I learned how to cook both of them at Outtakes Restaurant in Alabama. Alabama in 1996. I can make a mean crouton and I can cut up those like red potatoes that are that are mm-hmm. uh, like smaller than your fist. New potatoes, they were called when I was a child. I can <laughs> cut up those and uh, and bake them and they they will taste delicious. Anything else is hopeless. I'm only a prep cook. Like it, it, I'm, a, I'm not a my, my, my wife always jokes that while I'm very helpful in the kitchen. I'm not a- allowed near heat. Yeah. Well, I, heat is required to make croutons, at least. But uh, but I yeah, think that I we have that, to. Like, I, yeah. yeah. What we have to remember is that croutons are like really oily. Like you put a lot of oil in them, and you don't want to yeah, like see that I mean, coming out into the milk. No. They're not just like dry bread. No, you don't really want to know why croutons are so delicious. <laughs> They're delicious for the same reason every other food that's delicious is delicious. Yeah, you go to the restaurant and you're like, why is this so much better than what I cook at home? And it's like, well, probably the half a stick of butter. Yeah. I just, I'm very curious how much meat needs to be in a cereal before it's grip it and rip it, John. Sorry, that was a McElroy reference. Um, It was weird. How much? Drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper (laughs) like a normal person. You had to make it weird. How much meat needs to be in a cereal before it's not cereal anymore? Before it becomes soup. Yeah. Oh, mm. I would say any. Yeah, if I just like put a cold cut in there. Right, like they, (laughs) they make all kinds of different cereals. They make like... You know, they made Sour Patch Kids cereal. You know, they make... Yeah. You've got every kind of cereal, but one thing you never see is a meat, meat-based meat cereal. Nobody ever is like... Yeah, hamburger cereal, corn dog cereal. Or like beef jerky, <laughs> but, but when you put it in milk, it gets, <laughs> it gets, it gets real good. I'm getting, I'm getting nauseated just okay, thinking about it, actually. I really, I really would like to move on if we can. We've got a question from, I think, from Katri who writes, what are some tips y'all have for when you lose motivation to create things? This summer has been hard on me and has got me in a deep creative block. Well, first, this summer is Mm -hmm. hopefully anomalous in human history. (laughs) Like, I think it's been hard for a lot of people to create things this Mm -hmm. summer. Yeah. And I'm not sure that my old tips and tricks work (laughs) in the face of, uh, of, of a challenge Mm-hmm. This immense and multifaceted. I can. So I just want to say that at the outset. Yeah, I can. I I think that it's important on on the question of motivation to to go deeper than my own personal experience in terms of like what actually motivates me. One because like I have a very unique set of motivations after 15 years of creating professionally or semi professionally. But like the the thing that I think is really important is to be mindful of the things that help you make stuff and mindful of the things that that 
that block you from making stuff. And that's going to be different for every person. But as long as like in when you're in a moment and you're feeling inspired, look at where that inspiration came from so that you can try and track it down again. So I think that's really interesting. It's different from my experience of making things. For me, the inspiration almost always comes after the... The process the begins. Yeah. The disciplined sitting down and opening up mm-hmm. the document and and forcing myself to do that every day and 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 stating a time for when I'm gonna do it and keeping to that time. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for me to do all manner of internet-y things until I open up the document, or like all manner of distractions until I open up the document. And then for me, once the document is open, even if it's blank. I'm like, okay, I should work. And <laughs> and I I almost never experience that joy of making something, that feeling of things clicking together, the joy of telling a story until I've been like I have to get past this place of of boredom or frustration or or blockedness in order to feel that feeling. Mm-hmm. But now because I've felt that feeling so many times over the last 20 years, I kind of know that. You know but I remember there. when I was starting yeah. out, I would often quit after like 30 minutes of staring at a blank page or whatever and just be like, well, I suck mm-hmm. and get really mad at myself. And and now, I mean, I still have some pretty devastatingly negative self-talk at times. But now (laughs) I know that on the other side of that does potentially at least lie some fun. Yeah. Yeah, I totally hear that. And I I mean, I think that that's that's a a kind of mindfulness about where your, you know, your your creative process finds fuel. I, I find that all of the important work gets done while my fingers are on the keyboard, not while I'm sort of like waiting for a good idea to arrive. So many, yeah. so like an exponentially larger number of good ideas arrive while I'm typing. Yes. I'm not saying I never get any while I'm in the shower or driving somewhere or just, yeah, but like that's when the real work gets done. Yeah. And like those ideas can be really high quality and there's not like something unique and special about the ideas that like just sort of lightning bolt strike me that like it's more interesting that they like come out of nowhere, but they aren't better than the ideas I have while I'm writing. No, sometimes my lightning strike ideas are so bad, actually. Yeah, they seem good. They but, they, <laughs> but they seem good because they arrived like a lightning strike. And uh-huh. also, I think because I've been conditioned by the social order yeah. that that the best ideas like come while you're dreaming or come while you're like on a train staring out the rainy window or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when I have an idea when I'm dreaming or I have an idea when I'm on a train staring out a, out a rainy window, I always think like, this is it. I did it. I solved I solved. <laughs> the biggest problem. I came up with the best idea of all time. And then I'll sit down to write it. Mm -hmm. The dreamscape, I don't understand it well, but it doesn't, for me at least, like necessarily deliver the best ideas. We have another question. And I want to ask this, Hank, just because I'm very curious Mm -hmm. about your answer. It's from Kathy, who asks, Dear John and Hank, what was your favorite thing you've learned about yourself or each other while staying home during the last 106 days, not that anybody's done. <laughs> this has been one of the least mindful times of my life. <laughs> so like like the idea yeah. that I had extra time yeah. to learn about myself while trying to run a business in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, like having extra childcare duties and having extra, you know, various extra stressors. Um, I 
I figured out that I can I can survive on less sleep. Yeah, uh, that is a thing I learned. Right. I don't like it. It's not been good. Yeah, I think all the lessons that I'm going to learn from this time in my life, I'm going to have to learn in retrospect. A little bit from now. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see. Well, I really can't wait to see how we all look back on this, mostly mm-hmm. because that will mean that it's over. And, <laughs> That's it. Yep. That'll be an And, uh, you know, I, I think when this first started, the way that I was thinking about about it was that when this ends, I'll, you know, kind of have a have a download about about what it all meant and what I learned about myself and my family. And and mm-hmm. and, and 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 in some ways, maybe there would be some things that I would be really grateful for, like like the time that, you know, all the time that we had together. And God knows we've had a lot of time, the four of us. Mm-hmm. But but now in the middle of it, you know, all, all honestly, all I can think about is uh, making sure that the that the kids are taken care of, uh, that that we you know are are present for them, and then you know doing the chores, the the laundry, the dishes, ma- making the food, like just just doing the things of life. I mean, this is uh, and and I I am conscious of the fact and that that it it has been really, really easy for us um, compared to to what it's been like for a lot of people. But no, the challenges of of basically homeschooling the kids uh, have been real. And then, um, yeah, so it, it has been challenging. And I, I have tried through uh, the podcast I have with WNYC, The Anthropocene Reviewed, to mm-hmm. think something about what it means, I guess. But I will say that I have learned something about Hank. Oh, yeah. Uh, what did you learn about me? During this period. Just because of the way we are, I have always been cast, I think, somewhat in our relationship as the anxious brother. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. or I guess I've cast myself as the less competent one because mm-hmm. you are so wildly competent. Like you, you know, y- you always have bandwidth to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I've always I, you know, we we make a very strong point of not being of not being jealous of each other, and and I and I try really hard not to be. And but I have always admired that a lot about you, mm-hmm. and I've often felt like Hank's capacity to continue working at a higher and higher level all the time <laughs> has no limit, and 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 that is beautiful, and also like I am I am jealous of it. But it turns out it does have a limit. <laughs> it does have a limit. And I have seen the limit. Yeah. Like I have seen, this is the first time in our lives together when I have seen Hank hit the wall. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Like, I, and I, maybe I shouldn't apologize. Don't, don't, do yeah. not apologize for hitting the wall, Hank. It, it's, it, all it did was make you seem human, <laughs> which is kind of nice. I am human. Uh, Skylar has a question for us, John. Skylar asks, Great. I want a Nerdfighteria-related grad cap, but I'm not sure what to put on it. Oh. I, I just graduated, but my ceremony is postponed. Any dubious advice would be appreciated. DFTBA. There's so many options. We've given you too many options. Yeah, I mean, from from you can go back to 2007 with a puppy-sized elephant sort mm-hmm. of look, or you mm-hmm. can have... Uh, I'm a big fan of the Hankler fish, yep. which is an angler fish that Hank has sort of personified into a, into a face with a face. Yeah. DFTBA. Yeah, got it right there. The nice thing about DFTBA is that people who get it will get it, and people who don't get it will ask about it. So it's a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it comes out and you're like, what's that? And then you tell them, and it, it's not like gross. It's like, oh, that's nice. 
Yeah. Or you can always always go with uh, Pizza John, the picture of me <laughs> with a mustache. Yeah. I have a, a funny Pizza John thing has been happening to me recently, which is that uh, Henry... Oh, no! What's wrong? Manchester City just scored. Oh, no! I can't believe you're paying attention to that right now. Well, I mean, Hank, it's... <laughs> uh, just to reiterate, it's been 30 years. <laughs> so uh, one of Henry's best friends... Uh, has a favorite shirt, and that favorite shirt is a Pizza John shirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's, wow. Oh, it's so funny. Uh, that is Henry's like, please, please. Yeah, so I don't know. You get to, you, 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 At some point, you start embarrassing your kids, and I'm there. Yeah. I might suggest Skylar a Pelican, which is uh, apparently I'm now really into. This is my new thing. Oh yeah, you're 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 TikTok's leading Pelican authority. Yeah, I'm the head of uh, the Pelican side of TikTok. That's yeah, and congratulations on that. That's a really wonderful achievement. Thank you. And if I can't tell if you're being honest because you're staring at the TV too much. I'm first off, I'm not staring at the TV. Okay, I'm occasionally <laughs> glancing at the TV. Let's <laughs> let's let's call it what it is, which is glancing, <laughs> not staring. All right. Uh, many times I'm glancing off just into into the infinite space because I don't like looking at you when we make the podcast because this is not how we usually make the podcast. <laughs> it's, very it's weird to me that you have a face when we do this. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I, this is a great question from Hannah. Dear John and Hank, what do you want your new solo podcast to be about? <laughs> that question is not from Hannah. Oh, right. Hannah's the person who put it in the chat. Oh, sorry. It's from M. I, I'm not I'm not doing a great job reading, but not because I'm paying attention to anything else. <laughs> uh, yeah, John. Uh, well, you've got your own solo podcast right now, The Anthropocene Reviewed. I do. Um, I'm... <gasps> Oh my gosh, he's what happened? They hit the post. Okay. Everything worked out better than expected. <laughs> so maybe it's a soccer related pod. I've always I have I feel like you do a good interview podcast. I would love to listen I to I don't it. want to do an interview podcast. Okay. Here's here's why I don't want to do an interview podcast, Hank. Because every I do not think the world is yeah. is suffering from a paucity of them. Uh, I yeah. I would be interested to do a podcast about sports for people who don't like sports. I'm interested in talking about sports, but like not the way that Sports Center or the endless stream of sports radio talks about sports, but instead more of like, mm -hmm. what are we really thinking about when we're thinking about sports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Hank? I deeply, deeply do not want another thing to do. <laughs> so I think that my solo podcast, I've actually thought of, I've, ha I've had two ideas for solo podcasts. One is Silence, which is a podcast that just broadcasts silence and you just sign up mm. and then you listen to nothing, mm. which is something that we probably <laughs> could do more of. Yeah. And the other is, well, I, I guess this wouldn't be a solo podcast really, but um, reading uh, public domain literature and potentially discussing it as well. So like going through Jane Austen and like just right. doing, doing a read through, like, but actually reading it out loud right. so people can listen along and then talk about it after. Right. Afterwards. So it's like an audio, it's like an audio book, but with book discussion. Yeah. And, a a and similar, yeah. a similar podcast idea I've had is that there's so much important audio in the public domain mm -hmm. from throughout history. Yeah. Uh, mostly 20th century history, of course, but not, not exclusively. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it would be a cool podcast to make a, uh, a podcast that is those sounds and then after listening to them, right. a, a discussion of them and, and a contextualizing discussion of them. Yeah. Because I, I there's just there's a lot that we're missing from 20th century history 
because of our kind of relentless focus on right now on the present. Yeah. I think that'd be a great idea. I, I think the main thing that you want to do is to not have that be a podcast that's just John. Um, oh and, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't want to uh, to ha- be involved in it. I th- no. I I think it would have to be uh, a, a historian, like somebody like Daniel Bainbridge, or right, right, um, or somebody who who knows history um, as more than like an enthusiastic amateur. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. which um, is my my thing. Yeah. And speaking of making stuff, because this is our VidCon now, dear Hank and John. Yeah. Uh, Miriam asks. I, uh, more of a question about content creation. I love how much you two are yourselves in your videos. So many creators hyper-focus on do's and don'ts, and I often get criticized for not being niche enough, not using keywords enough, etc. How do I grow my channel while being myself and making content I enjoy? Time machine! I don't think that's the only way. Yeah. But that is certainly, whenever we get credit for something that we did or do on YouTube, Mm -hmm. the answer is not that we are good. It's that we started in 2007. Yeah, and like, if you look at our social media strategy, or especially our YouTube strategy, it is deeply designed to not grow at least at the current right. moment. Like and in the yeah. last like year there've been moments when we've been interested in reaching new people, but um I think it is clear if you go to the vlog or this YouTube channel that like that's not the that's not the goal right now. I mean certainly in the last couple months it's been pretty aggressive <laughs> in its desire to do something other than grow. Um I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's not a specific reference to anything. But I, yeah, I, I think that Hank and I don't know how to make a successful YouTube channel in 2020. No, no. but I, I do think it's possible. I think mm-hmm. there are people doing it. I think that they are aware both of what audience is like and what the algorithm likes, mm-hmm. which YouTube would like to imagine is the same thing, but (laughs) we all know deep down it isn't the same thing. And so those are videos of a certain length, usually like eight to 15 minutes. And their videos, uh, they tend to be, Mm -hmm. have a lot of visual change in them. But look, the truth is like, Hank and I don't know, but also I don't think anyone knows like what is going to emerge as a popular format on YouTube in the next six months or five years. Yeah. We just don't know. And and the reason Hank and I have been able to do the, the things that we've been able to do is that we have a very loyal core audience that we are extremely grateful for mm-hmm. and that it is in our jobs. And so w- because it is in our jobs, we don't have to, I mean, this is the great, I mean, this is, yeah, it's just a really lucky thing in our lives that, that mm-hmm. because Vlogbrothers ad revenue doesn't go to us, it, we don't, need it to do well. So we don't have to orient our content around trying to grow. Or like we did that. There was a period of time when yeah, that, that yeah, was yeah. our goal and yeah. we sort of like moved through it. And we, it's very difficult to have a YouTube channel that continues to grow forever, like, or impossible, obviously it's impossible. Well, it's, de- it's definitely impossible. <laughs> uh, and so like at a certain point, you you see that your, your viewership starts to go down and like there's kind of three responses to that. Like you fix it and you start to grow again. You try to fix it and you fail and you feel bad or you are like, well, maybe like the thing I'm doing just isn't going to keep reaching more people forever. Right. And I'm going to keep doing it because I like doing it. And it's not about 
Like I have like try and move beyond the the part where it's about having the audience always get bigger. Now, of course, but that's like after that period of of initial growth. And I think that we were pretty strategic and careful back in like 2007 to 2010. Sure. And and beyond that even to try and make some fairly viral content. And the way that we did that was we looked at the stuff that was working on the platform. We put our own twist on it. We, you know, thought about like how people make decisions and how algorithms make decisions about what content they're going to watch and what content they're going to serve. And we we thought about that stuff. We just don't, we don't so much anymore. Right. Which, I think a lot of times people say like, like nice things about us that like we don't make content for the algorithm. But like the reason <laughs> we don't make content for the algorithm is because for a long time we did make content for the algorithm, yeah. which allowed us into this position. Like we're not like, yeah, we're, <laughs> it's, it's not like we're above it yeah, at no, all. No, and and I And like I actually am really impressed by people who figure out sort of the next the next thing that that might be happening yeah because human choice changes and the algorithm changes like a lot of times people are like right. the algorithm has changed so much my content isn't as successful anymore and I'm like well but like people got less interested in certain kinds of content too like people change and they want yeah stuff. I mean there's no there's no version of this on on YouTube right like because it's all still new like the number mm-hmm of people who've been doing YouTube for 15 years is none. But the number of people who've been doing YouTube for 13 years is like a few hundred. Yeah. And and so this is all still new and it's all still like, we're all still figuring it out together. But if, if you think about, and I know this is not a perfect comparison, but somebody pointed out to me a while ago that if you think about it in terms of TV shows, like the number of TV shows that have been on TV for like 13 years and are still making new episodes is is almost none. Yeah. It's yeah. like The Simpsons and Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like nobody says like, oh, Seinfeld, what a failure. <laughs> you know, like people only watched it for four years. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we've got to figure out together how we're going to how we're going to think about YouTube as we get older and it gets older. Yeah, absolutely. This question comes from Alice who asks, for legal reasons, Hmm. my housemates and I need to switch bedrooms. Wow. This is providing to be a huge logistical nightmare. How do you move three bedrooms into two Hmm. bedrooms across two floors in the height of a very humid summer? Alice. Oof. I, wait, do you have to fit do you have to fit three bedrooms into two bedrooms or just like temporarily while you're like emptying one out so that you can put stuff into I'm not the, sure. I'm not sure. Here's either. here's what you do though. The only fair thing is you draw lots. This is an old strategy and you go with this, you know, short stick, long stick, whatever your strategy of randomization is. Now you can use a random number generator. You can draw numbers out of a hat. You just do it that way and you make it work. Uh, One of the great things about how we're doing this right now is Alice actually responded and they have to reduce the number of rooms because one room is legally too small to be a bedroom, which, yes, does occur. This does occur. Mm. Yeah, so you're going to have to play some high stakes drawing of lots. And I really wouldn't do it in any like weirder, more interesting, more skill-based version of this. No, 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 no. I wouldn't try to make it complicated at all. I'd be like, this is it. We're... And and like we are assigning value to this one interaction. This Rochambeau is for all of the marbles, and we're but about- don't make it that because even that is a li- like even even rock paper scissors is a little bit a game of skill. You're right. You're right. You really do have to make it something totally random. It's got to be completely random. Yeah. Jules has a question, Hank. Mm-hmm. 
Jules asks, Dear John and Hank, what was your favorite moment that you've had at VidCon ever? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's kind of easy, weirdly enough. It's easy for me, too. I wonder if it's I wonder if it's the same one. I bet it is. The the Gregory Brothers bringing Yosemite Bear out on stage to do Double Rainbow. I think at the was I, I don't know. It was one of the first two VidCons. It was the second, I think. Yeah. You know, everybody, it was one of these like viral videos that had recently gone really viral and everybody had seen it a bunch of times and that the hook of that song is so hooky and having Yosemite Bear there and everybody in the room knowing exactly what we're like every word to the thing. And and then just like going on and on with it, like, like drawing the song out so that we could all sing together. And like, I think at one point they like stop playing music and we all just sang and singing together with a bunch of people in a room who all sort of like love something together is is one of the most special things that you can do and I will never let go of that memory and we recently lost Yosemite Bear and it was very sad but just try to trying to think of like you know the joy that so much joy that he brought into people's lives and and that that joy came from just a place of admiring a natural thing that exists and that that is a thing that every, like people all over the world now, whenever you see a double rainbow, like we share that joy with him. Yeah. And like that really like that song and that experience that he had is about joy. And that experience that I had with him and the Gregory's and the rest of the people at VidCon was also really just was all about joy. That is also my favorite VidCon memory and it wasn't just joy, right? Like it was also this earnestness. Yeah. It was this, this ability to be deeply moved by a double rainbow, brought to tears by it, to feel like an absolute unironized emotion around this beautiful phenomenon that then the Gregory Brothers turned into a song that is itself like in some ways a version of that, that mm -hmm. like somehow without being like overly earnest or without being cheesy or saccharine or sentimental, somehow still captures the true emotional experience of that original mm -hmm. seeing yeah. of the double rainbow. And so I, singing that song with all those people, I mean, when I like, when I'm, this is silly, but like when I'm running and I'm really tired and I feel like, oh God, I can't finish it. I can't do six miles today. Mm -hmm. There's th two or three memories that I will turn to, to like push me, to like get me to go. And one of them is singing double rainbow all the way across the sky yeah. with those, with all those people. It, because it just, that's how good it felt. Yeah. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by Double Rainbows. Double Rainbows. Oh. It's two of them in the sky. And they're just, they're there to make you happy. That's why they're there. And today's and today's podcast is also brought to you by Seinfeld's Failure. Seinfeld's Failure. It was only four <laughs> seasons. I mean, who even, that's what, not. What a disaster. You know, what a disaster indeed. And this podcast is also brought to you by Beef Jerkios. You put oh, them in milk. God, no. You put them in milk and they're better. I don't know how. No. They are. 
No! This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep it's a huge time saver thrive market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods they got amy's banza burt's bees trobani honest kids kind mike's hot honey oatly olipop poppy salt I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Yo, <laughs> why'd you have to give them a name? <laughs> Before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, do you I want to do? The, wait, we could just not do the news because I don't, I don't have any. Okay, that's fine. Okay, all right. I do have a bit of news. Oh yeah, Chelsea have scored, uh, meaning that Manchester City now have to score two goals in thirteen minutes, or Liverpool are champions wee, of wee, England. Wee, 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 wee. I may cry. I, you know, I have imagined this moment so many times. Uh, and I've imagined myself being at Union Jack Pub in Indianapolis with all of the other Indianapolis Liverpool supporters, uh, all my friends in Indianapolis who support Liverpool. And I've imagined myself uh, at <laughs> Carragher's Pub in New York City. And I've imagined myself in mm-hmm. Liverpool watching watching the game at Anfield. And I, I've imagined myself, I never imagined that I would be in a basement Reco- alone. <laughs> recording a weird remote podcast for an audience. <laughs> Using a tool that I had not heard of two years ago called Zoom. Yeah. This was, this was not quite how I imagined it, uh, but I am not going to let that in any way affect my profound enjoyment of this development. It's also very weird to like, for te- I, and I guess maybe this isn't weird, but it seems very weird to me for it to happen while they're not playing. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty common though. Uh, that, that seems happens, very strange happens, to me. It, it is weird. Um, and I guess that y- you could root for a more dramatic version of this, but I, I for one, have no interest <laughs> in added drama. <laughs> like, yeah, so so this this is like the old season has picked back up again. They, they did manage to do that. Yes, and now they're playing without fans, okay. and there's extensive, uh, you know, regulations and everything. But yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's definitely it just in general, it's a weird environment because yeah. like they're going to lift a trophy. I, I don't know in a in a stadium that has no people in it. Maybe I who knows. Ooh. But like, but I'm gonna frankly, I'm gonna have hopefully thirty more years to enjoy this. Right. Uh, there you and go. I so I intend to like 
spread out my enjoyment, not just over the next uh, now 11 minutes, but over the next, uh, <laughs> you know, several decades. Yeah. All right, John, this next question comes from Sarah 9999999. I've recently <laughs> taken to ice cream making as a hobby. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I've basically run out of common flavor combinations. Any suggestions? Ice cream was a luxury in the Victorian era. It still is, Sarah. Still a luxury. I mean, when I get ice cream, when we get ice cream at the house, I get very excited. Yeah. It's not it's not common. No. And I, I don't actually ever eat it at home. I kind of like make a point to only eat ice cream when I'm out. Like there's something special oh, okay. that feels so to me. So I went to a cooking school once. Oh. It was weird. I am shocked. You made croutons and those those red <laughs> potatoes about the size of your fist. No, uh, I went, but I did go to a cooking school and we did make lots of delicious food. And one of the things that we made was ice cream that was basil flavored. Oh, and yeah. that was something I didn't think was going to work. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that there's a lot of sort of like not so sweet ice cream yeah, flavors totally. that I dig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my, one of the ice cream shop down the street from me uh, has occasionally an Irish whiskey ice cream that I am oh. extremely fond of. Ooh, it's you know it's like a complicated vanilla basically. Yeah, and I don't know how they do it or anything, but I love it. And maybe the, like I think maybe there's a catalog of flavors. So not like, you know, you blend up the basil yourself, but like you just like go and you buy like vials full of lemon basil or whatever. And you yeah, can just try in stuff this case, out. We did, we did blend up the basil ourselves and it was delicious. That sounds very good. I like that yeah. idea. Uh, or you could just put, I mean, can you just put whiskey in it? I don't know if you can, because it's got a bunch of water. I think it depends on how old you are. <laughs> that's, my, <laughs> that's a good point. That's my honest answer. <laughs> Yeah. When I was uh, in college, I used to put vodka in Frosties from Wendy's. And that was like my oh, favorite. That was my God. favorite drink. There's something about the way that young people consume alcohol. That I know. I find so horrifying. I know. Though I really like, do when still I was like. In, when I was in high school, I drank Zima. Uh, yeah. Zima. Mm-hmm. Zima. You drank you drank Strawberry Hill flavored citrus wine. Uh, strawberry Hill ice cream uh, would be amazing. And that is our ah, ultimate suggestion. Strawberry Hill, strawberry yes, Hill ice cream. Yes. We cannot wait to find out how delicious it is. Please keep us up to date. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And a huge thanks again to everybody at VidCon, behind the scenes, especially Hannah and Duncan for helping us out, making everything work. Yeah, absolutely. John, how many minutes are left in your football game? Six, and so I'm gonna go enjoy. Um, I'm gonna go call some of my Liverpool supporting friends, and we're gonna enjoy nice. this moment together. That sounds great. And and can you record a uh, an update to put in the end of the podcast? I will record an update. Okay. Uh, but thank you all for joining me for this strangely important hour of my life. <laughs> Thanks for making a podcast with me, John. Thank you. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. And the music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome. Hi, it's John here with an update. Uh, And the update is that Liverpool won the league and are champions of England. And I cried a lot. Um, You know, I thought of the decades 
uh, of my life that 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 have occurred in the interim between those two days. Um, I thought of my friends who support Liverpool who aren't here. I thought of all the the great players we've we've had over over the years, the the friendships that Liverpool has brought me, the great conversations uh, I've I've had w- with friends where. You know, f- football is the text, but the subtext is is more important, like it is for anybody, you know, who who loves something. You know, a, a lot of times, it isn't so much the thing as it is having your love oriented in in the same direction as as other people you care about. So it's a magical day. Uh, obviously, this is a strange way to end a thirty year title drought, um, but but it's a really special day for me and. I know a really special day for a lot of other Liverpool fans. So uh, thank you for letting uh, letting me make part of the podcast about this moment um, and in general for indulging my sports fandom on this podcast over the years. And a uh, big thanks to everybody at Liverpool Football Club. Oh, oh my God. It's just, yeah, I... It's just amazing. And I'm... Uh, thinking about that great uh, Liverpool song that's sung before and after every game. Uh, they sing, though your dreams be tossed and blown, walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. And whether you're a Liverpool fan or not, you, you never will walk alone. So congrats to Liverpool. I'm going to go uh, drink some champagne now. <laughs>